Welcome to the Leadership Pulse, the healthcare culture's new heartbeat. I'm your host, Becky Wolf. On today's episode, we have a recurring guest, Brady Steinick, back with us. And today we're talking about purpose in healthcare. Brady, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. We love having, love being on this. I know. We always love having you on here. So uh, you and I had spoken recently and it was about purpose and being really driven with your why and your purpose and how, um, what you're noticing, I guess, in your, uh, in community healthcare, you're just CEO there and what you're noticing um, with people who have either direct high purpose related to healthcare or um, potentially if maybe they've lost sight of that. Mm-hmm. Like, What are your thoughts surrounding purpose right now and what you're seeing? I think it's everything. Um, you know, everybody has a mission statement or a, you know, every organization tries to have goals, objectives, uh, a why as to why they're doing things. But if you don't have a personal why and if you don't really have a purpose for why you're in healthcare, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be successful and you're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare also has, an inter- at least as a physician, and probably in other disciplines as well, it has this built-in, um, I'll be happy when, mm-hmm. because there's so many steps along the way. Every every milestone in medical school, every step of the boards you pass, every residency application, every graduation, there's always a, I'll be happy when, I'll be mm-hmm. happy when. And then you get out of school and you get a job, like for some people that work, you know, work for us at community healthcare, and it's like, oh crap, now there's nothing else Mm-hmm. I got 30 years of the next I'll be happy when. And so if you don't have purpose on why you're here, you're not you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. Especially in a system. I mean, the system is built against some of that. It beats you down with the way that it's designed. Yeah. Yeah. I can see this tangentially also. I work with a, a company that's in the restaurants, a restaurant industry that they've grown pretty rapidly um, over the last couple of years. And there is also this feeling of um, the need for evolution, but also growth with people. And I think that is challenging because we live now in a society of we can get things so rapidly in most other areas, but with career progression, it looks so different. Mm. So in healthcare, what do you think specifically related to career progression and purpose? Um, What are you noticing, I guess, as trends or um, in healthcare in particular? I mean, sometimes there's not opportunities for growth. Yeah, and I think we have to be more intentional in healthcare to provide those. I think I see a lot of it in bigger organizations where there's really not any room for advancement and there's a lot of top-down mm-hmm. type of management and leadership and it's it literally pushes people down. And I think we have to flip that. We have to be able to say, okay, what else do you want to do? Um, if you love seeing patients every day and that's what gets you, that is your purpose, let's do that. If there is more that you want to do or something else or something is a different direction, what else can we do for you? And I think, you know, you see a lot of people that work their contract to get, you know, their three years of loan repayment and a guarantee, and then they're off to the next one. And in primary care, I feel like I see that a lot. And it's really sad because I feel like, at least for me, the huge purpose, the huge why is that longitudinal long-term relationship with my patients. And for me, it's it's a little different. I'm I'm born and raised in the community that I practice in, mm-hmm. so a lot of my patients are family, 
friends, my high school physics teacher, my little league baseball coach. These are people I care about. And the, the thought of me dropping and going somewhere else for a grass is greener contract or something is, is doesn't appeal to me at all. There are others who maybe aren't connected to their to their geography or to their patient panel that are like going to drop and go. And I think that's really unfortunate because patients want that. They want that connection. That's why I think you're seeing failure in, uh, of all these doc in a box, you know, mm-hmm. Walgreens, CVS, Minute Clinic. People can go there for a quick stop in for a cold or something, but for a longitudinal primary care, health care relationship, you still want that connection with someone. And I think the, the talks that lose that or that are just more mercenary, I don't see, again, there's no purpose. And I, you're probably going to see a bigger burnout in those people. That makes sense. And I think about value alignment with organizational alignment. Mm. Can you speak about some of your personal values? You kind of highlighted some already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez, you're getting deep on me. Uh, (laughs) Personal values for me are, are, you have to be able to, if, if those are unchanging, then you can handle everything else around you. And so for me, personal values, number one, faith in Jesus Christ and my relationship with him and with God. Number two is my marriage. The number one most important person in the world is my wife. Mm -hmm. Then after that is our children. And then after that is my career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people talk a lot about work-life balance, but I don't like that word. Mm -hmm. It makes it... It makes you feel like it kind of just by the wording puts work and your home life on competing on a, in a competition where you can't have one without the other. But why can't you? my my thought is, why can't you have both? Yeah. And so I call it work life integration. Mm-hmm. You know, as a doc, you, you're not going to the doc. That's the other thing I see in burnout is people who's who don't have the purpose of I am as an identity. I am a doctor. They just work as a doctor. So at five o'clock. They want to not be a doctor anymore. Right. And that's okay for some people. But if your identity and your purpose is, I want to take care of others, it just shifts to the next site. So for me, I go home, okay, now I have to, um, I'm taking care of my family. And that also involves getting back on the computer after the, my kids go to bed. I have little children and that happens. And, you know, I think if the per- if your purpose is to help people and to be there for them in their health, in the good and the bad, you got to be able to figure out if that works for you or not. And for our family, it does. My wife knew I was a doctor before we got married. She knew I was in med school. And so we kind of have integrated that. Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, you have to (laughs) avoid distractions when you're with your family. So I put my phone down or we go somewhere or whatever. But I mean, Mm -hmm. for us, the purpose of what we do, my wife feels involved in that. She's like, these are our patients. Yeah, This is what we do. We take That's care of people. And so I think integrating your work in your life can give you way more purpose than competing. That takes, I think, a lot of work <clears throat> and intentionality to integrate mm. the family life into, um, it's a lifestyle. It is not just career mm. at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the term integration. We use that with clients a lot because it is it is misleading to think we can balance anything perfectly. 
And if we want to have careers, family, and then other outside agendas, we have to be really cautious. And I love rhythms, establishing healthy rhythms with mm-hmm. people and productivity. And I think when you do that really well and you, again, integrate your family, people are much happier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I found. And like, our value alignment as well is really key into that. Are you mm-hmm. living into the values or what's what's happening that's not something that aligns with who you are? Um, so tell us like a little bit about Adela. So how that kind of came into the picture too. So I know we <laughs> yeah. talked about it on a couple of the other episodes, um, but is that part of the integration for you or mm-hmm. what was the impetus for starting that? Yeah, so, you know, life throws you funny curveballs sometimes. And uh, a doc that I trained with who was a, became an extremely good friend, um, she actually joined community healthcare. She was nine months ahead of me in residency. So we trained together. We hit it off. We were excellent, great friends. Her husband is a physician as well. And the four of us with my wife would go out. We, we were very good friends. She graduated before me and joined community healthcare. I graduated and also joined community healthcare and joined her office, and we worked together. Then an opportunity came up for me to move into an office that um, had a full patient panel already waiting. So I moved, and after a few more years, she was in that office, and I was in Louisville. And eventually, you know, she was at a different place in life. She went to med school as a uh, as a non traditional student. Her kids were in high school, believe it or not. Wow! So she's older than me, and they're at a different point in life where they were looking at ready, getting ready to to cut back. Especially your husband. Luis is all about, he was, he was there, he was ready. And so she, uh, stepped out of primary care and almost as a hobby opened a med spa in our town and her grandmother's name is Adela and it's gorgeous. So she named it Adela med spa. And, um, it was almost like a hobby for her and for him. Like they really didn't want to make it very busy or anything, but they loved just the aesthetic part of it and aesthetic medicine, which is actually extremely fun. I've always been interested. I do a lot of dermatology in my general practice. Um, and then if, after a few years of that, they were finally at the, their youngest kid got married and, and, and moved away and they weren't ready to travel. And so they approached us about a year ago and said, hey, the spa is like beautiful. It's totally done. We would hate to for all of our work to go to waste. Like, would you want to step into it? And my wife looked at me and with her eyes raised and was like, oh, my God. I could tell from her from her expression. She's like, this is my project. And yeah. so I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> one more thing. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we do that. My wife is the main uh, like office manager of the spa. We employ my sister-in-law and we have uh, an esthetician and two other, two nurses and a nurse practitioner. It's basically a bunch of our friends that we love working with. And uh, it's, we love it. I I don't have to be there all the time as the medical director. There's a lot of remote things that I do to support the uh, nurses that work there. Um, I do go there about one day a week to see patients myself. It's really fun. And it's been a great, talk about integration, Working with your spouse is a whole different level and building this together. It's been extremely fun. You know, there's times that it's difficult and it's hard to shut it off, but there's other times where it's just really fun to go to the office and she's there. Mm -hmm. So we've had a great time and we've built it. It's, we want, we want it to be busy. You know, what's so cool about aesthetic medicine is that it's just a different gear than primary care. People Mm -hmm. are there, you know, because they want to change something about their skin or they have a problem that's more superficial. They aren't, you know, we're not doing medications. We're not taking care of serious medical problems. And so it's a little bit lighter. Um, 
And, you know, the results that you can give people are way deeper than, you know, it's almost like a tagline. It's like deeper than skin deep, you know. <laughs> yeah. When people change something that they don't like about themselves and change their self-image, it changes other parts of their life, too. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we've seen some really cool success stories on uh, people's lives changing because of something we did to help them. So yeah. Yeah. really cool stuff. Uh, again, it's integration. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. We have five kids. Um, mm -hmm. I coach all their teams. Yeah. And we, we we split up a lot of nights. She's got to drive one here. I'm taking one there. But yeah. we always come back together and yeah. recap. So Yeah. How do you think opening Adela contributed to your values or your purpose in medicine? I think it, for us, it was just an extension of it. You know, it, it, it's totally different from my role at community health care. Um, but it's still, like I said before, it's still a way of taking care of people. And, and for us, again, it's, it's also a, a way to build our marriage and to build our family. It's something that we're doing, you know, for us. Um, and as, again, it's something for her. You know, she's she had her own business before COVID, which then kind of stopped because her uh, – she was a she's a professional ballroom dance instructor. That's mm -hmm. how I met her. I was her dance student. That's so and funny. And when COVID happened, we weren't allowed to dance. We mm -hmm. can't touch each other. It's crazy. So and as it, it, we were already at a spot where her career was difficult because all of her students are adults. So she was teaching mostly on nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> if she's not there when in, on a night or weekend with me, uh, we struggle <laughs> with all those kids. <laughs> right. So it, we were already at a spot in life where she was thinking about doing something different. And so. I after, um, you know, really not having that for a couple of years, it's been great to see her step into this. And she's done a great job with it. Basically yeah. taught herself so many aspects of the business from the ground up and mm -hmm. doing it together in partnership has been really fun. So yeah. it's been a great thing for her and for us. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love the integration piece of it and how you talk about it. And I think that is so key and important to talk about how you weave family life into a career. You know, being in mm -hmm. medicine is hard. Uh, very demanding, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's so key to figure out all the pieces of it and how you actually have the time with family and what that actually looks like. Um, I want to go back to something you said too, as far as um, career longevity with one practice for you know a duration of time, and how we can effectively build into uh, the medicine or healthcare in particular how we can build in a structure where people can grow. What, is, what do you think that looks like? You mean if they are in the same practice, same mm -hmm. panel for yeah. a long time, but still yep. progression of growth. I think them. it's investing in them in their, mm -hmm. in whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at community healthcare, we have, it's, it's almost across the board, different goals for each person has a different goal. We, half of our docs are female with kids who do not work full time. And some of them want to show up, open their laptop, see their patients, and go home. Mm -hmm. And they do have the balance because for them, both of them work, you know, them and their husbands work full time. They may have, um, you know, children that have special needs or multiple kids like we do or kids in college that they want to see. And it's awesome that we can provide that for them. We take care of all the administrative stuff. They don't have to do anything but show up and see their patients. We have other people that want to be more involved and we're able to kind of offer, we want to offer a whole spectrum of those type of opportunities for people. And what's so cool with where we are is we're in a growth phase at community healthcare. And so it's almost like I've sat, I sat in a shareholder meeting about a year ago and I said, Anybody wants to do anything, I'm here for, I'm down with it. I need the help. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, the, and, you know, when we were a smaller company and my predecessor, our founder, he kind of did everything himself. And, and, and that was great because that was the size we were. And mm-hmm. there, the other docs were fine with that. And now we're getting to a point where we're big enough that it can't be done by one person. And so it's been so cool to see, you know, some person step forward and said, well, I really like this. Another one said, I like IT. Another one said, mm-hmm. I want to do, I want to oversee and help invest in our nurse practitioners. And I've got like four or five docs now that are taking on these roles. And it's been so cool. Like, it, it's, it's funny because three of them are all at a spot where their youngest kid just left the house to college. They're all empty nesters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I need to find more empty nest docs. <laughs> <laughs> they're all energized. They're sleeping all night. They're right. well rested. I'm like, man, these are great. This is great. I have years. I yeah. have toddlers. I don't sleep. I'm right. tired. So I know. no, but it's been so cool to see. So it's great to be able to. I, and I think organizations have to look at mm-hmm. if you're going to compete and keep people and retain and not just retain and let them muddle through, but really let them grow. You've got to be able to provide those opportunities, mm-hmm. and and you got to get creative. You know, mm-hmm. what can we do? What do you want to do? What are you good at? Yeah. You know, Giant teaches all kinds of tools about your, you know, your seventy thirty and what's your right handed. What's mm-hmm. what are you natural at doing? And if that energizes you, let's figure out how to get you doing more of that. Right. And so I think it's, you know, and it's, and it's sad. I think I see it in. Other organizations, not just in healthcare, where they try to put people in cookie cutters, mm-hmm. and people don't always fit. Mm-mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, you know, when I worked in cardiology, I had the opportunity to become a health coach because I just saw that a service we were doing with patients, right? We weren't able to actually help them get healthy. And thankfully, my practice responded, right? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, go get certified so we can offer and, and get the help that you want in order to help the patients. It's only a value add at that mm-hmm. point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think? So the people that work with you, um, what do you think is helping? Or actually, we can extend this further into healthcare, But the people that are there engaged um, in what they're doing, what do you think are main drivers for their purpose, if you had to guess, potentially? I think... People are in community health care because they match up with our mission statement, which is to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're independent, so we're not, we're not, we don't have the resources of a large uh, hospital system. Mm-hmm. No one in my, no one is overpaid <laughs> at community health care, although we're working on improving all of that. Um, people are there because they want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think almost everybody, you know, really feels like our mission, we, when I mentioned at the beginning, everyone has a mission statement. I think I feel like ours is a little bit special because it's the one that was written by our founder 38 years ago, and we still put it on the wall every meeting. We make sure everybody knows it, and we still try to have that guide all of our decision making. And mm-hmm. it's patience, 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 taking care of each other second, making a profit enough to stay in business is the last thing because mm-hmm. we have to be able to do that. Right. And in because we walk, I think when you said integration and staying true to your values, the fact that we really try hard, we're not perfect, no one is, but the, the fact that we try extremely hard to make our decisions match our mission and we walk it and we talk it, I think that's what really creates that that feeling that people get that they really believe in what we're doing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, at least I do, I, you know, I, I, I walk it and breathe it. I, mm. I'm, I've drank the Kool-Aid a long time ago. Um, <laughs> That's evident, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, every time we have a conversation, it's just evident that you're on fire and you love what you're doing. So just wanted to highlight that. Well, but. <laughs> yeah. well yeah, and, and, and it's fun because, and I think that's when you go back to purpose, when you, do, when you make it about not yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I th- the docs that even in community healthcare, the docs that are dissatisfied, mm-hmm. burned out, not happy. <laughs> it's funny. It's like chicken or the egg, but they're all about them. So what they're getting mm-hmm. or not getting. It's always mm-hmm. about me, me, me. It's not about what am I giving. Right. Or, yeah. And the ones that are happy, the ones that have purpose, the ones that I don't worry about longevity or are they okay or are they going to be here long term or not are the ones that are about, hey, how can I help? Mm-hmm. And they're not afraid to add patients on at the end of the day. Yeah. They're not afraid to, um, you know, put extra effort in with a with a coworker who looks like they're struggling, mm-hmm. or they're not afraid to volunteer to help with something. Mm-hmm. They're giving of themselves. They don't. Yeah. The ones that protect themselves, and it's like whatever you protect, you end up losing. Yeah, faster. They, yeah, they're mm-hmm. burned out. They, yeah, because all they're worried about is them. And mm-hmm. I think I get sick of myself pretty quick if I did that. <laughs> I, and you know, there's so much discussion about burnout prevention programs and how sick of it, like people are at the hospitals are so sick of talking about it because it's not doing the deeper work. It is very superficial taking baths or, you know, exercise or pizza parties. People are like, we're so sick of that. And I think what people are actually craving is the deeper, harder work of like, what actually makes me happy? What is my purpose in life? And they've been kind of detached from it because of all the, you know, stress that we've all been collectively under since COVID. But, um, how do you help people with their mission statement? And even going a little bit more, maybe molecular from that, um, do you all have structural meetings that you're meeting with your people? Or what does that look like to help people attach to their specific part in their company mm-hmm. um, to help them re-engage? Yeah, I think, you know, when we onboard people, it's trying to be really explicit about what's your role? Mm-hmm. Why is it important? Why do we value you? Um, because everyone's valued. I think for us, the language is important. We tell everyone, it doesn't matter if you're answering the phone or working a front desk or you're the CEO, everyone's a leader. Mm -hmm. And we tell people that you're a leader is influence. Mm -hmm. So we give people, again, we want to call people up. We want to, you know, the the goal is to, you know, again, let them know like, hey, there's more than, there's more that you can do here if you want it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's big and, and yeah, I think we've, there's tons of examples of, you know, someone struggling in a certain role and I think, you know, almost to a fault, we will move someone or, you know, just ad nauseum talk with them and try other things. Mm -hmm. So are you better fit over here, over Mm -hmm. here, over here? And there's so many stories of success with that. It doesn't always Mm -hmm. work. There are some people that it doesn't, but um, we have a lot of good stories of, mm-hmm. hey, this person was really struggling over here, but oh my gosh, they're a different person yeah. over here and they're killing it. Yeah. And can so, you can you share one of those stories? Because I think it's important to highlight that because I think all too often what happens is that we see somebody's not a fit for one particular role. Mm-hmm. And instead of actually looking at where they may be happier and more productive and effective, we give up easy. That's yeah. what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, we've so. we've we've had that. We have. I'm thinking of one person in particular, um, and I don't want to give it away because her, her story is obvious if I start to say it. But she okay. and she's joined our practice as a lactation consultant in our mm-hmm. pedi- pediatrics office. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up working her way to office manager of the pediatrics office. Um, you know, didn't really know if that was totally the perfect role for her or not, mm-hmm. um, and then moved her to a care manager role. 
where uh, she was helping manage difficult patients coming out of the hospital, um, uncontrolled chronic conditions, things like that. And now, most recently, um, we have another role for our nurses where that are called transitions of care. And you know, as primary care, we often lose track of our patients once they get outside of our walls. When they go to the hospital, sometimes we totally lose them. So we've we've been able to embed nurses in the local hospitals and then create a committee of nurses who help bring those patients back into our office once they're discharged. Mm-hmm. Now she's in that role. And I just sent her a personal note the other day. She's actually during my patient's transitions. So my patients that come out of the hospital, she's the one calling them and I'm getting all of this data from her. And the she puts it out on a silver platter for me. Like I used to have to try to thumb through a hundred pages of crap from the hospital mm-hmm. to get to like the two pages of what I needed to know that was really important that that patient needs care for coming out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. She puts it on this platter. It's like one paragraph, (laughs) beautifully written. She also then gives a personal touch at the bottom that shows that, hey, when I called the patient, they need this, they, they have, they need refills on this. They don't have this kind of support. They've got a great daughter who's involved. Like, all this information I would have never had before. Yeah. And so it's been so cool. This is like her fourth role in our right. company and she's killing it. Yeah. And so it's it's about saying, hey, like what else can we try? Right. And yeah. So. Yeah. Curious on the transition of care role with the nurses. How long ago did you develop that? That's only been in, in the last one or two years. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, so you saw a need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, in particular in healthcare too, I think we can get stuck in the traditional ways things mm-hmm. have always been done rather mm-hmm. than seeing. We don't like that. Yeah. We, we like to upset things at community healthcare. I love that. I love innovators, <laughs> upsetters, yeah, disruptors, so, right? Someone told me that the other day. They're like, this is going to disrupt people. And I'm like, great. That's us. <laughs> The yes. more we do that, the better. Yeah. So we have we have RNs that are actually embedded in several of the area hospitals that greet our patients in the emergency room. Mm. They know who they are when they walk in. Wow. They go, hi, Mrs. Smith. I'm Susie, and I work with Dr. Steinek because mm. they know that that's my patient. Mm-hmm. And the patients are like, such a load off. It's scary, yeah, right? They follow them through the ER. If they go home from the ER, they help transition back to our office by letting us know what happened. Mm -hmm. If they get admitted to the hospital, they follow them up on the floor Mm -hmm. and then they notify our TOC transition of care team upon the discharge. Mm -hmm. Our transitions and care nurses are then able to make those phone calls um, and schedule the patient for a follow-up and we can get them back in and make sure that huge, that gap between discharge and seeing the PCP is Mm -hmm. so dangerous. The Mm -hmm. meds have all been changed. Mm -hmm. There's follow-up testing that needs done. Who knows where, you know, the patient's got 16 pill bottles, which one's stopped, which one's new. Um, so it's extremely chaotic and we're trying to decrease that gap. In fact, we're looking at hiring people to be doing those visits at home, Mm. send them to the patient because then, then at that point, let's take all these bottles that you're not on anymore and dispose of them because they're going to get confused. There's so many things we could be doing to help with those transitions. Yeah. Polypharmacy is a huge deal, especially in elderly. Right. So that makes a lot of sense to have that particular role. Have you, I mean, it's kind of early to see, but have you noticed any particular outcomes that have been favorable from that? I had one particularly in my office. There's multiple I've heard from Mm -hmm. others, but a a guy who um, had really low blood pressure. He was 94 years old, lives Mm -hmm. alone, got sent home after a heart failure admission. Um, My care manager, Kristen, is in the room with me while I'm doing his follow-up and his blood pressure is low and he's lightheaded and he's confused on his meds. She followed him home. He said, I said, can, can Kristen come and look at your meds? And he said, sure. 
I'm not going to be able to hear the doorbell, but don't worry, my dog doesn't bite, just come in. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love so it. my nurse goes to his house after lunch. It was exactly how he said. She walked in, the dog sniffed her. She looked at his pill bottles in the boxes that were set up. The home health company mm-hmm. put them in there and duplicated his blood pressure meds. Mm. So another provider, we've caught that error and we fixed it. And luckily, we're you know we we avoided another hospitalization or right. something with him. But yeah. we have multiple stories at all, other our offices about yeah. that. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, that's exciting. I think when you can develop or see a need, fulfill it in some manner, mm-hmm. it really does make a huge difference. Um, anything else within your company that you've done recently or seen trends that you've seen that you feel like you want to bring to light? Oh, plenty. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, how long do you Um, Well, yeah, like our meetings right now, we're like, we kind of have a lot going on right now. And I'm like, yeah, we kind of do. Um, we were exposed to a, uh, a company out of Israel. In Israel, everyone has to go in the military. Mm -hmm. And these guys were, uh, search and rescue. They were using radar to look through walls to see who was on the other side. And they got out of the military and they said, we feel like this could have an application in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And they experimented and they figured out and they they actually devised a device that actually straps on a patient's uh, chest on the right side of their lung and can actually accurately measure how much fluid is in the lung. No way. Which is actually, as an ex-cardiology person, If they've got heart failure, mm-hmm. you're going to have a high amount of fluid yep. in the lung. So in the data, in the studies show that fluid builds up in the lung days before they start to gain weight on the mm-hmm. scale, which right now yep. is how we're trying to measure this. Yep. We have remote monitoring scales that are connected to our inter- the internet. So yep. our patients are stepping on a scale. We can see the weight, but if we can measure right lung fluid four days earlier, right. we could potentially stop the exacerbation and right. avoid the hospital yep. stay. And so, hospitalization, so we, meds, yeah, <laughs> right. all the good stuff. So we yeah. bought two of these. Okay. And we've we've been uh, passing them around our offices. We've already got some crazy stories of mm-hmm. that tool helping us make better decisions um, in our heart failure management. So now, now, of course, my problem is, okay, I need to buy one for every office. <laughs> right. <laughs> we got to afford that next. But, probably uh, easy to like engage with some of this stuff and be like, okay, how do we scale it to the rest yeah, of the organization? Yeah. yeah. Are there any other health, uh, like technology things you're looking for? So like AI, for example. We're doing that right now. Too. Are you? Okay. I was going to say, I know some of their practices are getting involved earlier to kind of help with charting EMR. Uh, yeah, ours isn't an EMR. The one that we're piloting right now, again, out of Israel, They've this yeah. was a doctor who flew Apache helicopters as a, in the military, got out, got in healthcare, saw how the variability mm-hmm. and and then went back into the healthcare IT and mm-hmm. there's a, a his AI is like a care management software program okay. it's a smart text device so it's on a patient's smartphone oh, okay. it is a language it's like a chat gpt in the fact that it can have conversations with people mm-hmm. and it can ask them how they're doing it can make minor medical decisions on it can advise them on weight loss on mm-hmm. how to take their meds and then when it when it trips that it needs human intervention, it notifies us. Mm-hmm. And so we literally just started a month ago in two offices, so we have no idea how it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have
have a meeting this Friday with their people to go over how the first month has gone and see yeah. how it went. But yeah, I mean, that's one thing I think that talk about purpose and getting people fired up when you try new things, like not all of them are going to work. Who knows if we're going to end up doing this AI thing company wide mm-hmm. or not. Um, but you know, when people are trying things and they're allowed to try it and it's okay if it isn't perfect, it's mm-hmm. okay if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, when everybody, you know, cause it's so different in my office, we were all like really stressed the first couple of days of doing this. And I went up on the whiteboard and I hashtagged it's only a pilot. <laughs> Because <laughs> like, they were like freaking out, and I'm like, we might not do this long term. It's okay, like relax. Yeah. And so I think that's such a great way to introduce something. I mean, there's so much anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. industry wide with anything AI related, any of the new innovative technologies. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're careful, like you said, introduce it in a pilot, small offices, yeah. you know, integrate it very slowly to see what's effective. That can take away some of the tension. Yeah, because if we iron out, if we use one or two offices to iron out mm-hmm. kings and then create processes, yep. then when we roll it out company-wide, we can present that process. It's already yep. done. Yeah. We can say, okay, here's how we're doing this. Right. And So, yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. And it changes hard in any industry, mm-hmm. and healthcare is no different. But yeah. you got to push the envelope. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the beauty of what we're seeing now is, you know, there are so many other ways and integrations of technology that only help, mm-hmm. <laughs> helps reduce the, the the human capital strain, right? Yeah. Um, but I think, like you said, you have to have a really clear and structured process in order to do it, to have people buy in um, and having the data behind it real mm-hmm. time with your office likely is going to help. Yeah, that's the thing that we, we've really tried to, tried to incorporate is we have to be able to know it. We, we don't know what we're doing mm-hmm. until we see data that shows us where we are yeah. and then we can figure out how to go from there. Yeah. We think we know, but sometimes we don't. Right. Yeah. Better, right, you know, better to have the hard data, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Little experiment. So. And speaking of change, you know, you're not going to get people to change until you show them the reason why. Mm-hmm. Like yep. here's the numbers. Yep. So it's obvious why we need to do something right. different. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I love that. I always love what you share. You're so willing to just share <laughs> everything that you're learning. And you I think ask that's deep helpful. questions. You bring <laughs> stuff out of me, man. <laughs> we need, you know, I think, you know, having leader examples, right, of people who are willing to be human mm-hmm. and in medicine, because I think we've been lacking that for quite a while, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I went in deeper initially, like but then kind of tied it into purpose and then bringing in some of the new stuff. But, um, but yeah, always appreciate your willingness to share what's working for you and, and your practice. So thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. It's fun. <laughs> Hopefully be on again, again soon. You never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us at the Leadership Pulse. 